This is a transcript. You may have heard this before, but I think it's a lovely illustration. This is a transcript of a genuine radio conversation between a U.S. naval ship and Canadian authorities off the coast of Newfoundland in October 1995. Americans, please divert your course 15 degrees north to avoid a collision. Uh, not the best American accent, I know. But <laughs> I can't do a Canadian either, so you wouldn't know the difference. Canadians, recommend you divert your course 15 degrees to the south to avoid a collision. Americans, this is the captain of the U.S. Navy ship. I say again, divert your course. Canadians, no, I say again, divert your course. Americans, this is the aircraft carrier USSS Lincoln, the second largest ship in the U.S. Atlantic Fleet. We are accompanied by three destroyers, three cruisers, and numerous support vessels. I demand that you change your course 15 degrees north. That's 15 degrees north. Or countermeasures will be undertaken to ensure the safety of the ship. Canadians, we're a lighthouse. <laughs> it's your call. <laughs> oh, just, it's the preacher's delight when you find a good illustration. You know it will probably work, doesn't matter how many times you use it. But, um, or you try and use them every two or three years, and so they keep coming back. And, uh, but if you're in a lighthouse in that situation, you are absolutely certain. I mean, you're not going anywhere, are you? <laughs> the entire American fleet may be sailing in your direction. But you're not going anywhere. You're absolutely certain about your position. And they are the ones that got to maneuver with all the kind of implications of that. And uh, come on, the Canadians. <laughs> um, I just realized when I was uh, preaching this in the nine o'clock service that actually uh, it's the Canadians who, pre who presented us, a church in Canada that myself and Mark Gilpin went to a couple of years ago, presented us with those three pictures over there. The first one represents identity in Christ. The second one about being a, a, you know, on a rescue mission. And the third one uh, you know, is the picture of the net being thrown over the boat and you know, hundreds of people coming into the kingdom. And we believe that that is prophetic for our church. But it's interesting, isn't it? From Canada, we have a lighthouse. And that's significant because some years ago now, uh, Mike Vaughn, who you will know, is very active in the healing center, is one of our local GPs, uh, Mike and Sarah Vaughn. I've uh, been in the church for some time. Uh, he prophesied that we were like a lighthouse, that we were sending out, you know, rays of light that people were being drawn to. And those rays of light, of course, represent the love of God and the grace of God, the gospel of God. And he could literally see hundreds of people coming towards it. But a lighthouse is some, is, you know, knows its position, knows its strength. And so if we're to be the lighthouse that God wants us to be, then we need to be certain, say with me, certain. Say it with depth of feeling. So certain. Something about the English language, isn't it? Look at a person next to you and say, certain. Just let the word. 
Let the word of God dwell in you richly. The word certainty doesn't actually come into the passage we're looking at at the moment, but actually it's all about certainty. So if you turn with me to 1 John chapter 5, and uh, we will kind of, um, I like John because he just leaps around all over the place, and and so we're going to take liberties with this chapter and just leap around all over the place. If you've joined the church recently, you know that we've been going through a series on 1 John. So uh, myself, Mark Henley, Donna King, uh, if you want to get all the backstory to this, then go on our website, look at the podcasts, and you'll get the context. But the context of 1 John, when John is writing to the Christians he's writing to, they are fearful, they're unsettled, they're everything other than certain. In fact, they're totally uncertain. In fact, they very, very much fit the times, don't they? Because we live in such uncertain times. And I don't just mean Brexit. <laughs> you know, we live in an age of uncertainty. In fact, uncertainty is almost heralded as a value. We value uncertainty. People don't kind of put it that way. What they do is put it the other way around. We don't value certainty. It's a contradiction, I know, in terms, because people are looking for certainty. And yet, the world is full of uncertainty. In fact, if you, you know, you know what it's like. If you are certain about what you believe, you're not very popular, are you? Why should I believe Christianity? Why is Jesus the only way to God? Why are, you so, why are you so convinced you're going to heaven? Why are you so convinced that the Bible is true? Why are you so convinced about everything? You wretched Christians, you're so convinced. Well, we, we ought to be, and you know, I hope that you are. And after this morning, I hope you'll go away much, you know, much more strengthened in your faith than you went before. But it's actually not a popular position to be in, is it? Because our society values variety, values you know, inclusivity, and to some degree, those things that, of course, are good. Actually, you know, although we have an exclusive belief about Jesus, we want to be totally inclusive of everybody. So when people say, you're not very inclusive, I used to say, yes, I am. Everybody can believe what I believe. <laughs> Which is only half the story, isn't it? Jesus came and he died for everybody. And so it's actually totally inclusive. And if you've got the answer to the, you know, there's nothing very inclusive. If you've got the cure for cancer, there's nothing very inclusive. Well, I've got the cure for cancer, but why don't you try a few other things before you get to the cure? See how that works out for you. I can hear Danny Silk just right beside me. See how that works out for you. It would be foolish, wouldn't it, to ignore the, the solution that God has provided and the solution that God has provided, not only around certainty, but for life and health and eternal life, is actually Jesus. And John is writing to a, a church who have been unsettled by false beliefs, false teachers. And so his, his mission really is to help them to have certainty in what they believe. And uh, people who are certain about what they believe actually become very attractive. Turn to the person next to you and say, you're very attractive. <laughs> Kind of works if you're if you're married to them. Uh, <laughs> if you're not married to them, well, it's maybe an opportunity. You know, so <laughs> not suggesting it is, but you know, you know, we haven't had a wedding for a little while. Come on, get a move on. So, <laughs> so here's some things. Actually, what I need to say is, any parents of Kingdom Carriers here? Kingdom Carriers, our children's group. Any parents here? 
Only two? Three. Okay. Oh, a few more. The kingdom carriers are, just how I'm speaking, the kingdom carriers are gathering up some words of knowledge, and they're going to present them later. So I'm going to, uh, if I forget this, which is, you know, it's not, not like me to get carried away when I'm preaching, but uh, if I do forget this, at quarter to one, if you could slip downstairs and bring your kids up, they are going to bring with them a list of words of knowledge for, for healing, and there may be other things as well. And we're going to read those out, and we're going to try, when the children come back, at, you know, uh, when you um, come back with your children, so they're going to leave their group a little bit earlier, uh, we're going to try and match up those children to the people who are going to pray for. This morning, somebody actually came in the building with a headache, and it disappeared as soon as they moved in. I jokingly said, well, if you can find it for her, don't give it back to her. <laughs> but uh, I know of a, certainly of a shoulder that was healed just out of uh, this session uh, this morning. So God... God is a way maker and a miracle worker. We just sang that, didn't we? We've made the declaration. Now we're going to see the reality of it. And we're going to involve our children in that. So quarter to one, parents, if I've forgotten, which is highly likely, um, just slip out. Nobody will understand. And go down uh, wherever. Can can we carry us? Are they down here somewhere? Just Just feel the words of knowledge coming up. Certainty then. How can you be certain about your faith? Well, let's... um, Let's just read the first verse of chapter 5. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves his child as well. This is how we know that we love and the, children of, uh, the children of God by loving God and carrying out his commands. This is love for God, to obey his commands, and his commands are not burdensome. For everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. This is the one who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. He didn't come by water only, but by water and blood. And this is the Spirit who testifies, because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit, the water, and the blood. And the three are in agreement We accept man's testimony, but God's testimony is greater because it is the testimony of God which he has given about his son. And anyone who believes in the son of God has this testimony in his heart. Anyone who does not believe God has made him out to be a liar because he has not believed the testimony God has given about his son. And this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life and this life is in his son. He who has has the son has life and he who does not have the son of God does not have life. Now that's quite a long passage, isn't it? There's a lot to unpack in it. But um, remember, John's on a mission here. These are unsettled Christians in uncertain times, and he wants to communicate certainty. And the lesson that we want to draw out is, well, how do we get certainty? Well, let me try and encapsulate it in one picture. Oh, can we get the lights off for the screen a little bit? a little bit fade, isn't it? They are their certainty. Can you feel it? It's oozing certainty, isn't it? Well, it, actually, it's a little bit mysterious, isn't it? I, I want you to know and be sure about your faith. Here's three testimonies. Water, blood, spirit. Well, I know John's a little bit mystical, but what does that mean? How does water, blood, spirit... Make me more certain about my faith. Well, here's, here's the deal. 
Water here is probably uh, referring to the baptism of Jesus. What happened at the baptism of Jesus? Apart from getting wet. It's on the picture. Anybody shout out? Francis. A dove came down. The Holy Spirit came down on Jesus. As a... I mean, you've ever wondered about this? I mean, if a dove appeared and manifested itself and settled on Catherine's shoulder, what would you think? Who left the window open? If you ever wondered, you know, well, it, it, the animals in Scripture are a bit weird. It? But here's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit chooses God. The Holy Spirit chooses to manifest himself as, uh, you know, as a dove and comes down on Jesus. And a voice comes and says, this is my son. With him, I am well pleased. Fantastic. Does that build certainty in you? Well, it happened 2,000 years ago. How can I be certain that it happened? now jesus back in john's gospel he says a very interesting thing he said in your tradition you need two witnesses for anything to be established as true right two witnesses for anything to be established as true so i'm telling you i am god and the father agrees there you go two people certainty feeling any more certain now (laughs) um quick philosopher anybody into philosophy here no yes right here's what philosophers would call a circular argument it doesn't impress us today is it you know we're um, who's been on the tour with mark around the british museum come on it's impressive isn't it not only mark's you know tour but the evidence the evidence which is impressive you know but the evidence that testifies here's the word testifies to the truth of the bible now, we're really, I mean, I'm almost more impressed by that than reading the Bible that Jesus said he's God and that Father agrees. Why is that? Maybe you are, if you're really honest. Why? Because we are what people call modern people. We are scientific thinkers. We like objective verification. You know, something solid, something I can grasp of. And as I go around with Mark, uh, one thing after another, I am finding that the Bible, you know, uh, what the Bible says is true. It fits the period, you know, the things that are happening at that time. So therefore, I'm convinced of the Bible. Okay, that's good. It might not actually do you much good, though. Not because it's not true, but, uh, but because it's not... The te- ultimately, the testimony of God is the testimony of God. God testifies to himself. Now, you'd expect him to do that, wouldn't you? What kind of God doesn't believe in himself? <laughs> you think, well, that's a... I'm still trying to get my head around this. Okay. The testimony of God rests on God and not on man. That's the issue, isn't it? So, so our certainty is that God reveals himself as God. Jesus is saying, I am God, and the Father agrees. In a Jewish culture, two witnesses, that verified something. For you and for me, though, what we need to get hold of, and philosophers, philosophers will call this a circular argument, as if to dismiss it. Why? Because we're modern, scientific people, and we like objective truth. But that's only one way of verifying it, and we're kind of used to it because we live in a scientific, modern society. 
But it's not the only way that you verify something. The fact that God, you know, when, you, when you're talking to your friends and you say, why do you believe what you believe? Well, because Jesus said so. Sounds like Billy Graham, doesn't it? The Bible said so. And though the world doesn't accept that kind of evidence, you and I do. In fact, that is the, you could have, you know, you can justify, you can look at all sorts. I mean, Jesus did that. Jesus said, if you don't believe my words, believe on the evidence of the miracles. So Jesus had other ways of proving that he was true and what he said was true. But he also said, this is true because I am God and God has revealed himself. God is revealing himself through me and the father witnesses to that. This is my son with whom I am well pleased. And when you become a Christian, you suddenly discover God is speaking to you, don't you? That is, uh, that is evidence. That is a witness to you. And when you read scripture and Jesus says, you know, that, that, that two people are testifying here, Jesus and God, that is entirely acceptable, more than acceptable. It's important that we actually grasp it. If I really confuse you, see me afterwards. <laughs> Okay, so the testimony of the water is that God has said Jesus is who he is. And your confidence, even with people who don't accept what you're saying, is God has said this. God has revealed himself through Jesus. And all you need, you don't, you're not, you know, it's, it's up to God to convince the people that you're talking to that that's true. It's not your responsibility. You come away and think, ah, oh, is that Two hours with somebody and I've been debating Christianity and I don't see being any further forward than when, when I started. What? In one sense, it's not okay, but it's okay. You have fulfilled your responsibility. You have testified to what Jesus has revealed to you. And Jesus comes with his own testimony. The Father's testimony. That's the water. What's the blood? Well, it's the death of Jesus, isn't it? The death of Jesus is an objective historical fact, testified both by the gospel writers, but also by the history writers of that time, several of them. Jesus died under Pontius Pilate. Just checking the time. (laughs) But the testimony of the blood to you is you know it's true, don't you? Jesus died for me. That's all it means. The testimony of the blood is that Jesus died for me. How do I know Christianity is true? Because I know Jesus has died for me. Jesus has forgiven me. And all that the cross means is evidence that God is real, God exists, and he's changed my life. That's your testimony. So you've got the testimony of the water, the testimony of the blood, and then you've got the testimony of the Spirit. So when you ask the Holy Spirit to come into your life, he cries, Abba, Father, you know Without a shadow of a doubt, that you're loved and accepted and adopted into his family. Somebody get excited. <laughs> so first thing here, how can you be certain about uh, your, your faith? You can be certain because of the testimony of the water, Jesus' testimony to he, who he is, that Jesus has died on the cross. And the Holy Spirit is alive inside you. You just know. As somebody said, you know in your Noah. That's Noah knowing, not Noah, the flood Noah. Okay. 
What else does John say in this chapter? Have you got the t-shirt? You can be certain uh, about your faith because of all the things I've said so far, but also because of what God has done in you. Right? Have you all got this t-shirt? Raise your hand if you've got this t-shirt. I mean, not literally. I mean, (laughs) metaphorically, inside you. You are sinless, fearless, guiltless, shameless, and righteous. Now, John says some amazing, you might be, you might be um, when we did this at 9 o'clock service, only about a third of the hands went up for sinless. You'd be encouraged to know that Pete put his hand up. You know, <laughs> and, <laughs> and, but what does that mean? Well, John says some outrageous things in this chapter, doesn't he? He says in verse, we'll, we'll, uh, verse 16, says, If anyone sees his brother commit a sin that does not lead to death, he should pray and God will give him life. I refer to those whose, whose sin does not lead to death. There is a sin that leads to death. I'm not saying that he should pray about it. All wrongdoing is sin, and there is sin that does not lead to death. We know that anyone born of God does not continue to sin. Anybody sinned since they become a Christian? Nobody? Oh, well done. <laughs> it's a moment of dishonesty. There they are, you're all sinned. There you go. <laughs> You see, we mistake, uh, we're so used to what we do determining what we are. So when we sin, we say, oh, I must be a sinner. No, wrong. You are a saint. Just say it to yourself, I am a saint. I am holy. I am blameless. I am righteous. I've got the t-shirt. That's what... You know, and when John says there's a sin that leads to death, he's not saying there's a particular sin that leads to death, but there is a, a lifestyle of sinning, habitual sinning, continuous sinning, which if you're a sinner, you most certainly will do. But a Christian is not a sinner, he's a saint, so his tendency is to actually avoid sin. I mean, there's a a verse earlier in here, it says, the commands of God are not burdensome. Do you know what that means? It means the commandments of God are not burdensome. (laughs) They're not a trouble to you, they're the sort of things you can do. Because you have the Spirit of God in you, and your heart has changed, and you are a new creation, you have a new nature, so now... The things that you didn't used to be able to do, you now can do. This is the reverse. If you know Romans 7, where the, you know, the evil I don't want to do, I do do. And the good that I do, do want to do, I don't do. Dooby dooby doo, as somebody once said. Uh, Frank Sinatra, actually. But, I mean, uh. <laughs> you see, you have been changed, and now you can walk in a continuous life of doing the right thing. And even though you, you know, you are not completely made perfect in this sense, you'll only be that in, in heaven, you are on a trajectory to holiness. Because you are already holy, you've been made holy, and so you live out of that. Because you don't see it in all its completeness doesn't mean it hasn't happened. One of the most common, as I've said it before many times, but I'll say it again, one of the most common descriptions of, of, of a Christian in the New Testament is you are a saint. Saint Catherine. That's one on the... the, Saint Nick. What a combination. How did you... That's why you got married, isn't it? (laughs) You are are saints, aren't you? And so there's a certainty. Part of your certainty is out of what you believe about God, but it's also about who 
you are. And then finally, well, actually, it, there's also a certainty around eternal life. Your sainthood is going to continue into heaven. And what John is saying here is, your, you know, it's, it's strange, isn't it? Who's going to heaven, by the way? Are we all convinced of that? Good. Keep your hand up for the moment. <laughs> I'm a teacher. Come on, I like hands up. <laughs> you are the most certain people in the world. Just by saying that, aren't you? Stephen Hawking, in his recent book, well, you know, published posthumously, obviously, um, Brief Answers to Big Questions. It's a really sad, I, mean, I haven't read the whole thing, but it's a really sad chapter in that, where he said, well, I don't believe in God, so I can't believe in life after death, other than, you know, you get remembered by your relatives, or maybe what you did, which is obviously the case of him, will, will carry on, and that will be his legacy. And I, I think that's one of the most saddest things I've ever read. Uh, ever read. To live a life, and he was amazing in his life, despite his disability, what he was able to achieve. And yet to believe that that's it. End. You just rot in the ground. Is one of the saddest things you can imagine, isn't it? And one of the ways we can be most certain with the world is actually to grasp hold of the reality that Jesus is God, and when he says you're going to heaven, you are. And the person next to you say, I'm going to heaven. <laughs> Parents have gone off. Can we do carriers? Just to remind you. And I'll finish with this. This is my last slide. If part of your certainty is being certain in prayer. I like this slide. It's called the game changer. Prayer is a game changer. If you, haven't realized, if you don't play Scrabble, this is these are Scrabble hearts. Turn to the person next to you. I can change the world through prayer. Why? Because Jesus says, don't repeat this. If we know, sorry, uh, verse 14. This is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears it. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we asked of him. Do you like praying prayers like that? Where you pray, and it's not just a hope, it's an assurance. Now, just about every prayer, or most prayers we pray, start, I hope this happens, to an assurance it's going to happen. I know some of you are assured that we're going to get to school across the road. And you're inspiring faith in other people. So how do you move to that place? Like, I really hope this happens to anything you ask in my name, I will do it. For years, I ignored that as a promise in God. It's quite interesting in John 14, that the verse that says you will do greater things than Jesus did is actually followed by Jesus saying anything you ask in my name, I will do it. That's a great combination, isn't it? Can any, Put your hand up if you can pray. Everybody, you can pray. <laughs> you had your hand down, put your hand up. No. And uh, uh, anything you ask. Well, how do you get to that kind of assurance? Well, let me suggest these four things that are on the screen behind me. Firstly, you start with the promises of God. I, I, you know, this is an amazing promise of God. Anything I ask in His name, He will do it. That's kind of scary because now I can ask for anything according to His will. Now, 
Don't do what people have done in the past and limit the will of God. Oh, well, I, I ask for anything according to God's will. And then suddenly God's will kind of shrinks. This is what we did with healing, wasn't it? We made this big mistake with healing where we said, well, I need to be convinced that God wants to heal before I pray for anybody to be healed in any given time. What happened? We didn't do much praying for healing. Why am I wobbling up and down? I don't know. <laughs> and then we discovered the truth that God wants to invade. Heaven wants to invade earth. And God is always on a healing mission. We battled through the mystery of why it doesn't always happen. To, but to a place where we believe that when Jesus commanded us to heal the sick, that we should go and do that and take every opportunity to do it. And guess what happened? The more we prayed, the poor people got healed. Isn't that glorious? That's the history of our church the last decade. Is that we pressed in and now we see people healed every week. Almost probably every day, probably. That's the promise of God, isn't it? Prophecy will bring you to a place of assurance in prayer. What do I mean by that? Well, check out what God has said to you personally or what he may have said to the church or any prophetic words, check them out again, because that's your food for faith in prayer. God told me to come and plant a church in Gravesend. Well, I, I believed him, and we did it. Now, obviously, summarizing here. You know, but, you know, God told us that we were being reinforced, and God did that. He joined two churches together back in 2005. God promised us that he would set the church here, Eastgate, at the, gate, the east gate of the city. That's where we are. Initially, we thought that was London. I think it's still London. But we had no idea that God was going to plant us on the edge of a garden city. So look, check, check out the prophecies that you have to see if there's more to them. The biblical pattern for prophecy is there's often immediate uh, fulfillment, an intermediate fulfillment, and then a final fulfillment. So check out the prophecies that you have. Many of them will probably be fairly open-ended anyway, which is God's design to keep doing more in your life. Look at the way that God has answered prayer before. Fairly obvious one, that. And then look for the present power of the Holy Spirit. You want to get to a place in prayer where you are, you, you know, you're really believing. You've moved from hope, I hope it happens, to assurance. Something inside me tells me this is going to happen. You're sitting in this building because people move from a hopeful expectation to an assurance that God was going to give us this building. That God was going to pour out hundreds of thousands of pounds in order to make it happen. And just added a little annex for half a million just recently. And you were probably praying for that. You have many past victories, don't you? That's what makes you dangerous, powerful people. You are certain about God. You are certain about who you are. And you can be certain about your prayers. My work here is done. <laughs> Let's just pray. Father, just release this word, Lord. We, we know that your word is powerful and it touches our heart. So, Father, when we go home, when we're on our knees, when we're walking around, wherever we are, 
Lord, just let this sense of certainty settle in our hearts now. So if you've is any uncertainty in your life at the moment, let God just come with his certainty that he is God, that he has testified to his love and power and has demonstrated in your life by his spirit, the testimony of the water, the blood and the spirit. And he is opening up doorways of prayer for you to change the world around you. In Jesus' name. Amen.